you're listening to Rock Bottom Radio, broadcasting from deep in the turfnet zone. Here's your host, Randy Wilson. Hello and welcome to Rock Bottom Country Club, where we intend to survive the next recession the same way we did the last one, with actual minimalism. Not the puffed up kind the architects like to crow about when, Hey, that senior golf group is highly agitated out there. They threatening to abdicate their business with us and go somewhere else. Is this about the greens being too slow or because I switched beer cart girls on them? Both. They demanding faster greens and faster beer cart girl. I can see their point. She must be 90 or more. As slow as a dead mule. Booth, the greens are rolling eight. We're not talking about greens. I was talking about that beer cart girl. She ain't moved in 20 minutes. Lucy's out there hooking her up to jumper cables right now. I'd be careful if I was you. That beer cart girl is ain't Feeny. She has a concealed carry permit. <laughs> Only thing slower than hers is them greens. Hey, we can't afford to lose that senior group, so I suggest you get a little more aggressive on the greens. You hear? How aggressive? We'll drop the cut. We're mowing at .125 without any PGRs. Down in Atlanta, they all mowing at .080 with enough PGR to shrink a green chairman's ego. That is aggressive. Seems like everybody is pushing the envelope, getting more and more aggressive in the quest for green speed. It's like that Twilight Zone where the guy's boss keeps yelling, push, 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 you gotta push, push, push. Well, what's the harm in being a little aggressive? I remember a little saying I learned at Fort Bragg. When you use George Patton tactics, you might get George Custer results. Let's hear from Mama and Lurleen about Vinyl Guard. Hey, Lurleen, you playing 9 or 18 today? No, I just want to hit a bucket of balls. Oh, and I just love how colorful the driving range is. Yep, I had Buddy Vinyl Guard all the range furniture. The targets, the barrels, the bench, even the bag stand. We're testing Vinyl Guard on my fishing pole, too. Everything's just so bright and cheery. The best part is we don't have to constantly paint and replace things anymore. We put pink Vinyl Guard on a set of flag sticks and put them out on Ladies' Day. Remember to vinyl guard all of your weather-exposed golf equipment and keep things looking sharp. Hey, did you see where DJ hit a drive 489 yards on a par 5? Yeah, but the alphabets in their stable boys said, don't worry, it's not that ball and those crockpot-sized titanium launchers. It's because DJ does Pilates. You know, that right there's why your book got banned. You the most sarcastic No, fella. the Greens of Wrath got put on the banned and scheduled for burning list after Mama banned it. I'm not so sure it wouldn't be a good thing for them seniors to go somewhere else. They out there fighting again. Here, look through my knocklers. Oh, yeah. It's that format they like to use. Um, Two-man worst ball? Ain't Femi ain't moved in two hours. You reckon she's dead? I'm telling you what, it's cold out there. Ain't been a spring as cold since 77. Nothing but old geezers. Ain't one golfer out there that don't qualify for Medicare. That's because all the young folks over at that new style driving range. What do they call that? Uh, it's bowling alley, honky-tonk, disco, pinball golf. Say, why don't we all go over there and check out the competition? I hear it's heated, and they bring beer out to you, and they play music, and there's pop-up targets just like at the rifle range. Good idea, Bubba. Let's all go over there. I think y'all got the wrong idea. Their CEO came by here when they were building it, and he said they were on our team. They were going to help grow golf, and 
recruit new players. You see any new players out on the course lately? No, but... No is right. Now let's all get in the truck and do a little recon on this bowling alley golf. It's important to know thy enemy. Hey, how much does it cost to hit balls at bowling alley golf? I think it's $25. And if you get beer and you got tips and you eat anything, it'll come out. $25? I can play Augusta National for that. Spend my entire week's allowance on a bucket of balls. Can't we just leave old Booth on the side of the road? He's so cheap, he's gonna ruin it for the rest of us. I know that's right. Booth is tighter than wet leather bitches. Booth, you can get a membership at Bowling Alley Golf for just $200 a month. What? That's more than when I belong to Peachtree. There it is. Slow down. Slow down, mama. Wow. This place is shiny. And noisy, too. I like it. Lane 22 just hit the 150 target. May win a small order of fries. Hey, I want to win some prize. Oh, you got to hit that target out there, the one that's twirling all around. Hey, where's our waiter? Hey, baby, over here. What can I get you? Give me two cold beer. I'll have coffee. What about you, sweetie? Nothing, thank you. I'm the designated driver. Yeah, he's our designated stick in the mud. I ain't where the stick is. Little missy, I'll have one of them big colorful drinks like, uh, like the one she has. Hey, sugar, what you drinking over there? Shut up, Bubba, you're embarrassing us. It's just a watermelon margarita, big fella. Okay, so I got two beers. A giant watermelon margarita, a stick in the mud, and what about you, cutie? Yeah, I'll have one of them watermelon drinks, I guess. Miss, I didn't order a stick in the mud. Hey, baby, you want to come over here and party with us? I just might. I've always been irresistible to women. You're kind of cute. You remind me of my great-granddad. What? Yo, listen, old dude. You should probably sit down and shut up before something bad happens. Are you threatening us, you little punk? What'd you say, you old buzzard? You said y'all talk mighty big for such a bunch of scrawny little chicken necks. Sit down, Bubba. These guys are huge. Look like they play football for UGA. You gonna get us killed. Dang, old man, are you stupid or something? Well, just bring it. Ain't nothing me to whoop a man's ass. Oh, dad it, old man. You hit me with that ball. What are you doing, Cletus? Stop it. Ah, old fool hit me in my knee. Oh, well, y'all read your Bible story, you know what happened to Goliath. Cletus, you can't hit balls into the next booth. Let's toss this mangy old bird off the deck. If we hit the green, do we win some fries? Uh-oh. Put the old man down. Who's gonna make us? What do you think you're gonna do with that frying pan, Granny? Oh, she fixing to demonstrate fry pan dough. What? She gonna make biscuits? <laughs> and that old woman hit me with a frying pan. Well, all I know is that's a pretty poor way to grow the game. Try to hit a few balls and almost end up in jail. I don't know. It was pretty exciting. Maybe that's just what we need to get the young folks interested in golf. Y'all shut the hell up. You just throw a wet towel on everything, don't you? Hey, Mama, here's them fellas in the black suits. They wanted to know if Mama would consult with them on tournament security. I didn't even get to win any fries. Win any fries? Even if you did, those fries would cost you $50. What's wrong with their tournament security? You haven't noticed how rude and impolite the galleries at tournaments are nowadays? They've lost the dignity of golf while trying to bring in more money. They act like wrestling fans. Well, it don't happen at Augusta. You show out down there, 
you ain't never heard from again. Yeah, in 73, when I pulled out my rainbow wig, they tossed me in that tent by the fence, doused me with cheap whiskey, and threw me out through the fence where the cops was waiting. And they stole my master's bucket hat. What'd you tell him, tournament fellas, mama? The truth. Told him it's their own fault. That's right. That tournament in Phoenix is just millimeters away from being the Roman Coliseum. Bread and circuses, gladiators, and, you know, if this keeps up, the crowd will be yelling for the players to fight to the death with seven irons. Okay, it's time for Rock Bottom Analytica, our common sense data mining program. First up, we analyze two of the most popular golf architecture forums to learn if there's a difference between what golfers say and what they actually do. I thought this was the time of the show when we announced the winner of the 2017 Turpentine Corn Cob Award. So we data mined the internet golf experts, and the interesting thing is, these folks claim they're all about the architecture. But when giving their opinions on a course's design, we learn that these expert folks cannot separate conditioning and fast greens from their overall assessment of the golf course. Which means, of course, that conditioning is so important that the golf course superintendent is the most vital component in golf. Period. No matter how good the architecture is, no matter how well it fits the targeted customer or the type of tournament, it still comes down to the basics of, does it look good? Do the greens putt well? Does it look good? Are the bunkers perfect and not hazardous? And let's see, there was one more. Let me guess. Does it look good? Yeah, that was it. Can it perform? Who cares? Just as long as it looks like a Las Vegas showgirl. Now we're on to... The Turpentine Corn Cob Award? Not yet. Next we need to discuss the Bentgrass versus Muda debate. Ain't no debate. If you're north of Atlanta, you're probably better off with bent grass, especially if we're in a big old solar minimum and it's going to get colder every year. The science is settled. If you're south of Atlanta and you're still on bent grass, you should see a golf psychiatrist. Hey, some fella out here says he's a golf course raider and he's here to raid our golf course. He want to know where a valet is, and he needs somebody to come fetch his bag and show him where to change his shoes. Go park his car where we always park the Raiders, and leave his bag in the car. Yeah, you mean the far end of the driving range? Yeah, same place we valet park all the criminals and politicians. Oh, and tell him to change his shoes in the parking lot where you're supposed to. Don't even need golf shoes. they just victims of consumerism. Hey, did you read that study about kids being happier when they only have one hour of screen time per day? It says kids today suffering from digitoxicity. Brains all hopped up on ones and zeros, and if they don't get their fix, you gotta sedate them with brainwave chemicals and, uh, soccer. Soccer? Yep, best nap inducer I've ever seen. Okay, here's a game changer. Rock Bottom Analytica gave up on solving the labor problem without robots. I've already figured out how to solve the labor problem. I used to wonder why them fellas in Mexico travel up here risking their lives just to work on golf courses and such, but now I know the answer. Because they got mean wives back in old Mexico? No, it's the currency exchange rate. If a fella can come up here and save up $25,000, send it back home, and it's worth 250000 back there. See? It's simple mathematics. It's like $10 an hour here is $100 an hour there. Talk about motivation. Well, I'd go mow grains and rake bunkers for $100 an hour, and so would most Americans. 
We're not lazy, we're just underpaid. Well, at first I thought your math was off, but when you put it like that... See, wages here have effectively been frozen since about 1971, when Nixon... Hey, y'all hear they put the golf pro in charge over at Burt Run Country Club? First thing he did was tell the superintendent that the crew has to sign tools and equipment out every time they go out. You mean like the cup changer has to sign out the cup cutter and the bucket and the cup hook and the spare flag sticks and the cup setter and the vehicle? That's the... exactly what I mean. You know, when I first came into golf, it wasn't long before my goal in life was to end the reign of the golf pro and see to it that the superintendent was running things. For a while, it looked like I was successful, but now, after hearing that, well, I just want to throw up. The senior bus is late again. These old geezers out there are starting to wander off. Well, bring them in here and I'll tell them a story. R.W., who won the Turpentine Corn Cob Award for 2017? Well, the votes aren't totaled up yet, but right now the leader in the clubhouse is the golfer who walked up to Miranda Robinson, the superintendent at Summerlee Golf Club in Ontario, and he asked her if she had any beer in her cart. You mean he thought she was the beer? That's right. Whoa. You remember when that green German from Metro said that to Mama? Uh, fortunately, we had that defibrillator. That wasn't a defib device. That was Buddy, an easy go, and a set of jumper cables. Okay, it's story time. Now, before we do story time, please remember, The Greens of Wrath is entirely fictional, and no one depicted is real. My lawyer makes me say that. Story time this month is about Uncle Jelsick and Stoddard, his talking dog. Since my last book, The Greens of Wrath, was banned and declared golf heresy by a number of famous golf writers, I decided to release one of the stories omitted from the original manuscript. It was removed by order of Mama in an attempt to avoid another riot at our annual summertime family reunion. Uncle Jelsick Wilson was the first in our family to actually work on a golf course back in 48 as a night waterman. A very fine country club employed Uncle Jelsick, and later on, Uncle Whip Wilson was retained as the golf course superintendent, and other Wilsons followed, like Whip's son Sammy, along with such stellar golf names as Uncle Verge and me. I was a night waterman there for several months until something crazy happened. The story of Uncle Jelsick and Stoddard, his talking dog, was relayed to me by Uncle Verge, who witnessed both of the key events in this epic tale. In addition to being a night waterman, Uncle Jelsick also mowed fairways and changed cups for 25 cents an hour, plus all the golf he could play, which was considerable. By the late 50s, Uncle Jelsick had a second job, playing guitar on weekends at honky-tonks like the Ritzy Palace or Bubby Brothers Hideaway, which was right across from the golf course. That was convenient because usually when Uncle Jelsick got himself a skin full of whiskey and called his wife, Onophelia, to come get him, she would comply, unless the sun was coming up, in which case she unplugged the phone and left Jelsick to walk across the road to the golf course. Now, Onophelia was high-born, coming from the Butts dynasty of Butts County, Tennessee, and her family was always agitating for the removal of Uncle Jelsick's standing as a Butts-in-law. The family had aught with Ophelia for tainting their standing in local society by trothing with Jelsick, but 
Ophelia was stubborn and refused to admit she had made a mistake by taking up with the night waterman. One day, pressured by her family, Aunt Ophelia told Uncle Jelsic that never again would she get up at three in the morning and drive the two miles in the wee hours to the hideaway to pick him up. Furthermore, she declared, if Uncle Jelsic was determined to keep working there, he could just ride Broderick. Broderick was Aunt Ophelia's mule. She named him Broderick because her favorite show was Highway Patrol, and she was infatuated with Broderick Crawford, always telling folks he was a fine example of a man. Uncle Jelsic happily rode Broderick to the hideaway every weekend, played Hank Williams songs till dawn, and marinated himself in enough alcohol to run a race car to Memphis and back. One night, Uncle Verge convinced Cowhead Prather, who was Bubby's sister and part owner of the hideaway, along with some of the locals like Moon Calhoun, to play a joke on Uncle Jelsic. While he was inside playing Your Cheating Heart for the fifth time, they replaced Broderick with Moby Hogg, a huge prize hog belonging to Moon's wife, Nene. Then they all hid outside in the parking lot of the hideaway and waited, surmising that Uncle Jelsic would have a major tantrum when he saw Broderick replaced by a hog. Jelsic, however, didn't pitch a fit. He just climbed up on that big hog, kicked him in the shanks, and bellered, Home, Broderick, and ride like the wind. For some reason, Moby failed to go full rodeo hog and trotted off as if giving rides to drunks was normal. Uncle Jelsic settled in for a nap, as his mule knew the way home, and the somewhat physical sermon Ophelia would deliver upon arrival was easier to survive if one was fully rested. By the time they reached the highway, Uncle Jelsic became aware of a powerful aroma molesting his senses, and he leaned forward to discuss the matter with Broderick. Broderick, old son, what you been eating? You emulate a most foul fragrance indeed. I was around Uncle Jelsic enough to do a reasonably accurate impression. Anyway, fearing retribution if he took Broderick home stinking like that, Jelsic detoured across the highway and headed for the golf course, where he entered the barn. Tying Moby to the wash rack, Jelsic fired up the homemade hot pressure washer and calmly explained to Moby what was about to transpire. The hideaway crowd had gathered to observe being unusually quiet and polite for a bunch of folks soaked in moonshine. Moby Hogg was also fairly serene, until Uncle Jelsic aimed the steaming hot pressure blast toward Moby's exhaust port. It is important to note that by this time, two police officers who preferred the golf course for early morning coffee breaks had joined the pre-dawn audience and were watching with interest when Moby Hogg went full ape to use the terminology of that era. Still unaware that he was pressure-washing a hog, as if trying it with a mule would be any safer, Uncle Jelsic was slow to react when Moby ripped loose from the wash rack and ran over Uncle Jelsic like Herschel Walker stomping a Tennessee linebacker. The audience watched the big hog run off into the night without comment and then focused their attention on Uncle Jelsic, curled up in the fetal position under a hot, foggy geyser of steam. Then, in unison, they turned their gaze upon the two cops, still quietly sipping coffee from a thermos in their car. Within moments, the entire customer base of the hideaway made the prudent decision to slip away into the night. While Moon pursued Nene's prize hog, Cowhead ran off to retrieve Broderick, because she knew mule thievery was punishable by death in those days. 
finally finished with their coffee, the police officers waited for the water to run out on the pressure washer and then approached Uncle Jelsip. He sat up, looked around, clearly disoriented and uncomfortably wet, and seeing two officers of the law, Uncle Jelsip fell back on his training. He stood up, tried to look sober and responsible, something he had opportunity to practice every weekend, and that's when Officer Parlin, the older of the two, said, Jelsip, mind telling us what it was you were up to here? Certainly, sir, Uncle Jelsip nodded. I was on my way home from work and ascertained that Broderick, he's my wife's mule, that Broderick was in dire need of a bath due to his unseemly aroma, so I gave him my bath. And where is your mule now? asked the younger officer. About this time, Cowhead Prather showed up, leading Broderick, and said, Hey, Jelsick, I found your mule. I thank you for that, Miss Cowhead, said Uncle Jelsick as he patted the old mule on the neck. See, he smells so much better now. After three attempts, Jelsick managed to mount Broderick and tipped his hat to the police, explaining, I would stay and chat, but I have a big day of golf ahead. The police did nothing because mule riding while drunk was still legal then. Only the mule could be charged, and it was difficult to get a mule to blow up the balloon. Later on that week, the judge gave Nene Calhoun a stern warning for husband beating. Cowhead Prather got a big reprimand for playing a prank on a mule, and Uncle Jelsip, well, he was charged with attempted hogwash. But that led to him being offered the head pro job at Burnt Run Country Club, where he worked until 1970 when he was fired for his increasing inability to kowtow, a necessary talent for working in the clubhouse. Uncle Jelsip returned to night watering for a short time until he suddenly retired one night. Uncle Verge was with him the night Jelsick decided to walk away from golf, and from what Uncle Verge said, it was probably the right thing to do. Verge and Jelsick, accompanied by Jelsick's dog Stoddard, were night watering one hot summer night at Burnt Run. It was common for Stoddard to help water because in the early days of golf course dogs, the invasion of illegal Canadians had not yet occurred. So instead of chasing the poa-eating, green-smearing, winged pests, Golf course dogs in that day just performed security for the night waterman. Oh, and they could find lost golf balls like magic. Stoddard was a medium-sized black-and-white Sooner, a breed of dog that was Sooner one kind as another. He was a scruffy dog, but very friendly and happy, at least until the night Uncle Jelsick retired. According to Uncle Verge, it happened like this. They were on the fourth hole about midnight when a big, fearsome lightning storm came up out of nowhere. All three jumped in the three-wheel Cushman and raced over to the little rain shed by the fourth hole, where Uncle Verge claimed it was like being trapped in a giant strobe light. The white-hot flashes of light came faster than Verge had ever experienced, along with terrifying, thunderous blasts so loud they were afraid their ears might burst. Verge, Jelsick, and Stoddard were cowering under the tiny metal shed, wondering if whoever built it was aware of the principles of grounding, when suddenly a searing hot lightning bolt hit not 20 feet away, striking a rake. For many years, Uncle Verge held that the rake was hit first, because it was standing straight up beside a bunker, anchored in a sleeve made by pounding a one-inch galvanized steel pipe into the ground. A most brilliant idea. Later we learned that 
Brakes were just for looks, and we abandoned the concept. The tiny nail on top of the plastic rake head must have been the last straw for the lightning bolt, a temptation to set things right. And when it struck, the bolt of light splintered out in several directions, obliterating a quick coupler head left running in the fairway, touching the flagstick of the fourth in a glancing blow, and a split second later, one piece of hot white shrapnel hit the metal shack. A deafening explosion hit precisely exactly the same time as the burst of light, followed by sizzling noises, started yelping, and of course the horror film kind of screaming that night watermen are often associated with. When the smoke cleared, the flagstick was still standing, but the sprinkler head had vanished. The wooden bunker rake handle smoldered beside the shed, having been thrown out of its sleeve, and the plastic rake head was close by, having been melted into an unrecognizable blob. Good golly, good golly, Uncle Burge yelled out. Well, that's not what he actually said, but the words he related to me are not in my vocabulary. My ears are ringing like a church bell, and all the air has been sucked out of my lungs, almost scared me dead. At that point, Uncle Verge noticed smoke curling up from Stoddard's fur, as well as a strange smell he determined could only be melted rake. Hey, Jelsick, you smell that? Uncle Jelsick was staring at Stoddard and nodding as if listening to something. Then Jelsick muttered, Yeah, I was closer to the lightning than you were. Uncle Jelsick then got up and walked over into the woods between 4T and 6 Green where he took off his pants and threw them away. Don't forget to turn off the pumps, Uncle Jelsick said as he and Stoddard walked off, neither wearing pants, or underwear for that matter. A few days later, after no one had seen Uncle Jelsick at work or even playing golf, Uncle Verge went to check on him. The old man was sitting at his picnic table out in the backyard talking with Stoddard and typing. Everything all right, Jelsick? Uncle Verge felt like something wasn't quite right, but he tried to act normal. Well, as normal as Verge could act. Oh, hey, Verge. Yeah, everything's great. I have retired from golf, and with help from Stoddard, I'm now pursuing my dream. I'm writing a book. Uncle Verge looked down at Stoddard, and that's when he said the dog actually smiled at him. Not a friendly smile, either. More like a, a Doberman smile. So you're not coming back to work? Uh, nope. Uncle Jelsick pointed to an old portable typewriter, a Smith Corona Skywriter sitting on the picnic table, along with a stack of single-space pages held down by a can of dog food. Well, what about playing in the Saturday morning dog fight? Asked Uncle Verge. Surely you can't give up playing. Stoddard's smile became a frown, almost a, a scowl. Verge, I'll thank you not to use that term, uh, dog fight. Stoddard is offended by that kind of reference. How do you know? Verge began to get even more uncomfortable. Well, he told me. See, ever since that lightning hit us, Stoddard has been able to talk. Now, not so as you can hear him like us. It's more like he uses his alpha brainwaves to talk to me. Can you hear him too? Uncle Verge just turned and left, suspecting that Jelsick might have gone a little off in the head. Years later, when I asked Uncle Verge about it, he said, You know, Willie, it wasn't so much him talking to his dog and the dog talking back or even giving up being a night water man, but 
not playing golf anymore because the dog told you not to. I mean, that was a little crazy, but that wasn't what scared me. Well, what was it? I asked Uncle Birch. Well, I soon found out Jelsic had sold his clubs to buy that typewriter, and he was writing what that dog told him to. You imagine anything crazier than that, being a writer? Years later, I inherited that typewriter from Uncle Jelsic, as well as several hundred pages of single-space manuscript. But I never did anything with it. It was just page after page of the ravings of a mad dog. <laughs>